Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Attributes really quickly. The first one, all of you will remember, the first attribute of revival we find in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. And this is the attribute of absence and how absence produces agony. Before every revival, there is agony. There is agonizing intercessors. It is a work that comes from heaven and not from man. Agony is not something that you can work up just by yourself. Agony is actually an impartation of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, and takes possession of his property, and the power of God actually agonizes the revival in. And so we see, dear saints of God, that the absence, when Jesus went into heaven and ascended, that the 120 sensed that absence. And for 10 days, they did not feel his presence. They did not sense his power until the upper room. And that was when the Holy Spirit was given. So we see that that absence produces agony. Secondly, the second attribute of revival is desperate need that must precede revival. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, looking at verse 13. We see the desperate need that must proceed. They were all come. They went into the upper room. Verse 14 says they were all in one accord. In uh, The Bible says, and they continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. This word supplication is a word that in the Greek language is the word desis. And this word is taken from the word to need, to lack, to want. You see, every time there's revival, we have to be able to sense that that need, that lack without God, that revival actually produces more dependence on God so that if we are in a place where we are absolutely depending on ourselves, but we must see that this absence produces this absence produces agony and desperate need must precede revival. Then we see the third attribute of revival, which we will not go into tonight, is that it is the destiny of every disciple to move into the miraculous. And we saw this in the book of Acts. We saw how the revival moved from the apostles into the congregation. And we saw that in Acts chapter 6, Stephen was filled with the Spirit and did great wonders among the people in Acts 6, 8. Then we saw not only Stephen, but then we saw Philip, not the apostle Philip, but Philip the evangelist, who did great signs, wonders, and miracles in Samaria. Then we saw in Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter 7, Stephen um, was giving his, Acts chapter 6 is the call of Stephen, who was a deacon. He was a person that was serving tables, but yet he did great wonders among the people. Then in Acts 
8, we see Philip, and in Acts 9, we see Ananias. And Ananias is given prophetic direction by the Spirit of God to go and lay his hands on Paul, and we see that great signs, wonders, and miracles are done through Ananias. So we see that miraculous move out of the pulpit into the congregation. Are you with me? This is actually a reflection also of the perfection of the move of God in Azusa. You see, in Azusa, Bishop Seymour had the burden that it would be everybody used of God. It was not only a work of Christian unity, and it was also a work of, co of course, of integration. But we need to know everyone was being used. Uh, for example, even children were being used of God. I heard a testimony from someone who was at the Azusa Revival who actually said that little children, when they prophesied, did not prophesy even as if they were children. They prophesied as if they were adults. They prophesied with articulate language. They prophesied uh, many years above their own age. I hope somebody understands what I'm talking about. And we already explored in the Azusa Revival how the um, young people, when they were baptized in the Spirit, this is unusual about Azusa because we see that the tongues that we saw on Pentecost were actually the tongues that were exhibited in the Azusa revival. All right, for example, one young man was baptized in the spirit, 12 years old, raising his hands toward heaven, weeping and crying and praying in tongues. And a man who was a Mayan Indian came in to the service. He sat next to the young man who had his hands raised, praying in tongues and crying. That man that was the Indian, Mayan Indian, ran to the altar and gave his heart to the Lord because the young boy was praying in articulate Mayan Indian dialect. And the man, when the little boy was praying in tongues, he did not know. He was calling that man by name. And God was giving him a message in tongues to repent. Are you hearing this? This was common. This was common. I believe I shared with you last week about the young girl named Catherine who was upstairs in the tarrying room, who had been tarrying for quite a while. And that young man that was very well dressed had come into the Azusa revival, but he came there to find fault and write up a newspaper article against it, a magazine article. And the young girl uh, stopped him on the stairway, started praying in tongues, uh, very loud pointing to him. And he took the young girl downstairs to the pulpit and told everyone, I'm a Jew. And this young girl told me my name. She told me where I was from. And she told me the God of Israel is calling me to repent. Hello, somebody. I, I'm telling you signs, wonders, and miracles in Azusa. So we need to look at Azusa as a model for revival because actually Azusa affected the century, not just the generation. You see, Azusa sparked the century of the Holy Spirit, which was, hallelujah, the, the 20th century. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. 
All right, so we see that it is the destiny of every disciple to be used of God, and this is what Bishop Seymour wanted everyone in the Azusa revival. For example, I believe I shared last week the young boy who um, actually was a teacher of the deaf, and he had 35 students that he had brought to Azusa. And Bishop Seymour had, uh, was very careful for every person to operate in their gifts and specifically in healing. Certain individuals had anointings for eyes. Certain individuals had anointing for backs. Certain individuals had anointing for deafness. This 18-year-old was anointed for the deaf. And a teacher had brought in all of his students, and he brought the students in, 35 of them, so they could actually see the revival and go back to the deaf-mute school and sign language what was going on. But the 18-year-old said, I hope you're ready to lose your job. And that guy and, and the young man who had the young people with him that were deaf said, are you saying that you think all 35 of these are going to be healed? And he said, yes, they are. And the young man rebuked the spirit of deafness out of one. And a wind went out, like a spirit went out with a sight of wind. And 35 deaf mutes at one time got healed at Azusa. Hello, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Somebody ought to say we need revival right now. It cannot delay any longer. You see, sometimes revival tarries, but God is looking for someone who's an agonizing intercessor to bring that revival down. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So we see the fourth attribute of revival, or actually the fifth, uh, I'm going to skip the fourth attribute of revival, and that is the enemies of the revival, being skeptical of the supernatural and scandalized by the supernatural. Somebody ought to say, don't put God in a box anymore. Right. Say, take him off the timetable, take him off your religious, the way that you religiously think that God should operate, because God is going to do the exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. You see, the power of God was so strong in Azusa. The power of God was so strong. The spirit of conviction was an, in the atmosphere in the streets around Azusa. So that at the Union train station, that the anointing was so heavy because it was down a, about a mile or so away from Azusa, people would get off the trains and fall out under the power. I'm talking to you, say we need a revival. We need a revival. We need the power of God. We need a revival in the earth. Somebody ought to praise God tonight. Hallelujah. And we see the fifth attribute of revival is rebuilding the ruins of revival and reawakening the word, reawakening the prophecies, reawakening what God did in your life to do it again. Last night we shared in detail the message that God gave to Jacob when he said, arise and go to Bethel. I want you to understand Bethel represents a place of one's anointing 
anointing. Bethel represents the first place God called you because in Bethel was the first time that the Lord touched Jacob. In Bethel is when the heavens opened and Jacob had the dream and God put his hand upon Jacob and Jacob met God. Hallelujah. I hope somebody's hearing this. God gave him his destiny in Bethel. God gave him his prophetic word in Bethel. God gave him his divine instructions in Bethel. Bethel was the place of a divine encounter. And God said to Jacob, arise and go back to Bethel after being 20 years away from Bethel because he encountered Bethel on his way to Padam Aram. And God told me this week, that he wants his people to go back to Bethel. That means the first place where God called you, the first place where you felt God's anointing, the first place where you felt his call on your life. Now I want you to understand what happened because when Jacob encountered God at Bethel, he woke up and he poured oil on the place God spoke to him. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And when he went back to Bethel, God spoke to him again, the very same words. And he took the oil again a second time and he poured it over there, oh, right over the place God spoke to him. And I asked God about it. I said, God, what's going on here? Why did he go back to Bethel? And you spoke the very same words over him that you spoke the first time. What is the spiritual significance of pouring the oil in the same place? 20 years earlier where he had poured the oil. And God said to me, tell my people, I'm going to reawaken the prophecies over their life. God said, for revival to happen, God has to wake up the prophecies that he's already given to you. God wants to wake up the word that he's already given to you. For some of you have been given a word 20 years ago. Some of you were given a word 15 years ago. Some of you were given a word five years ago. Some of you were given a word maybe a month ago, but God wants you to pour that oil over the word and reawaken the same word. God is saying that, hallelujah. Revival is about reawakening what God already put inside of you, and somebody ought to shout the victory. The sixth attribute of revival. Hallelujah. The sixth attribute of revival. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 26. Or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Go with me quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout. And say this with me. The sixth attribute of revival is that God is going to take what is deplorable and use it toward destiny. Somebody should shout the victory. What do you mean how God is going to use what is deplorable toward destiny? All right, let's look at this. The Bible says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty, and the base things of this world which are despised, yea, has God chosen, and the things that are not, hallelujah, God has chosen, the Bible says, to bring to naught the things that are, so that no flesh can glory in his presence. Now, I want you to understand something. The Azusa Revival is very closely connected in, in if you want to say, in its pneumatology, in its doctrine of the Holy Spirit, to the book of Judges. Why? Because in the book of Judges, everyone that was used of God was unqualified. Mm -hmm. In the flesh. And there are actually seven prerequisites of power listed here. I will go over those seven prerequisites of power. The Bible says not many wise. This word wise is the word sophos in Greek. It's a word that means not, not expert, not skillful. So that means God has chosen the ones who are not skillful in an area that he's going to call them to minister. I hope you're hearing this. An area in the natural you have no skill. Secondly, hallelujah, say the first, prerequis pre first prerequisite of power, no skill, no ability, no expertise. Hello, somebody. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. The second prerequisite of power, not many mighty. This is the word dunamai. And this word dunamai in the Greek means might, power, or ability. Not many that have are experts, not many that are skillful, and not many, hallelujah, that have the power or the ability to do it. So that means God deliberately is going to look for a candidate that has no ability to do in the natural what he's calling them to do. Can I get a witness somewhere? The third attribute, hallelujah, the third prerequisite of power, not many noble. This is the word eugenies in Greek. This is a word that means, uh, that means noble birth, not many noble, or it means a pedigree. So that means those that don't really have any pedigree is what God's looking for. Hello, somebody. I hope somebody is hearing what I'm talking about. The third, the fourth attribute or the fourth prerequisite of power here is foolish. The fifth prerequisite of power is weak. God says he's chosen the weak things. Somebody ought to say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God is looking for something weak. Hallelujah. Someone, this word in Greek is the word asthenes, which means not enough strength. I hope you hear what I'm saying. And then the Bible tells us here, the base things, the base is the sixth prerequisite for power. The base literally means in the Greek language something that is very demeaning, something despicable, something that's almost contemptible. Are you with me? The base things, God's chosen, something you would never choose, something that you would say is ridiculous. Hello, somebody, can I get a witness? And the seventh prerequisite for power, 
God is saying the things that are despised. This means the things that are contemptible, the things that are repulsive, the things that we think are just ridiculous. Why am I sharing all this? Dr. Corral, why do we even need to know the seven prerequisites of power? I'll tell you why. Last Friday, I was, I was on a quest. I was on a quest to figure out why was it 312 Azusa Street when there were so many beautiful buildings nearby? Why did God choose a dilapidated, a dilapidated building? Church historians, we've gotten a lot of records. There are two incredible church historians. There's a lot of church historians that have done research on Azusa. One of the experts that did research on Azusa is Dr. Cecil Robrook. He was a professor of church history at Fuller Theological Seminary. And he actually said that the former edifice that was at 312 Azusa was 2,000 square feet. And he gives us a lot of other background about it, okay? For example, why did God choose a place where there weren't chairs? Why did God choose a place with sawdust on the ground? Has planks, and not even benches, their prayer benches were planks of plywood. Why did God choose that? And you just think they didn't even have bathroom facilities. Bathroom facilities were outdoors. And there were no fire marshal laws in those days. So the gatherings in the inside of the building usually crammed 800 people. Crammed 800 inside. And they said sometimes the temperatures would rise in the heat in Los Angeles to 106 degrees with no air conditioning. And they also had a little bit of a fly problem. Bishop Seymour, when people were under the power, used to just brush them off of their faces. I've heard more than one record of those saying that every man or woman has the same testimony of Bishop Seymour being the humblest man they ever met and the meekest man they ever met. And his doctrine on the Holy Spirit is unbelievable. If you wanna know what was his doctrine on the Holy Spirit, just read the Apostolic Faith newsletters and you will see his doctrine on the Holy Spirit. And so I ask God, Lord, I gotta find out why you chose this place. It's not just because it was the 1900s, because there were a lot of buildings in the 1900s and they had fixtures. And the lights, Edison was already operating and there were also uh, the beginning of motion pictures and little, little, you know, not as we know now, but little, little clips. Why did you choose this place? Finally, I realized why. You see, every place for an anointing like this and a move of God like this has been chosen from heaven. These are not places that are just randomly selected and just randomly happen. 
Everything about Azusa was predestined. Everything about Azusa was handpicked. So why this place? And I found out a little lady actually purchased the property, and she was in heaven long before, long before Bishop Seymour ever got there. She was quite a woman. God honored her legacy to such a degree that he chose her property to be the place of the great revival. She was the original owner of the property. She actually purchased the original building. She was an entrepreneur. Slave become entrepreneur. Her name was Biddy Mason. I did some research on Biddy. It's not very pretty. As a matter of fact, when I studied it last week, I, I barely could do my responsibilities after I read about her life. I was pretty undone. I was like, have you ever just been like you feel in your spirit you can't move? She began, of course, she was born in Georgia. She was purchased by a man named Mr. Smith. I tell the truth. Do you mind? We got to tell it like it is. Hello? She was purchased by a man named Mr. Smith, and she had children, three, who very likely were Mr. Smith's children. She was a woman of God, a great woman of God. And Mr. Smith decided that he was going to move to Utah, along with a whole group of other persons named Smith that are from Utah, that they're going to move up to Utah, and Biddy was going to walk the whole way from Mississippi all the way to Utah to Los Angeles. She was partially dragged, but mostly she was in charge of the livestock that were with all these families. And she was breastfeeding her child while they were taking her from Mississippi all the way to Utah. She was in charge of making sure the livestock, she, she was not allowed to sit in the wagon train. She was not allowed, she walked the whole way to the wagon train. And her prayer was, Jesus, never let my children be taken from me. Work it out that my children will always be with me no matter what I go through. And the Lord did. The Lord kept her babies with her. When she got to, uh, to Utah, she was put to work with making uh, log cabins and all kinds of unbelievable labor that is impossible for any human being to do. And by divine providence, 
Mr. Smith didn't get along with some of those folks over there. So they found out another part of their organization was going to LA. Whether Mr. Smith knew it was illegal to have slaves in LA, we don't know. But God arranged it. And they came to LA and some other brethren, the first brethren Biddy ever met that were freed, she met along in, in, in this wagon train, and they told her all about the laws in California. And, and so she just kept praying, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, let me be free when I get to California and let my babies stay with me, because that's all she wanted was her babies to stay with her. When she got to California, those brethren that were free had already put in the information to the sheriff that Mr. Smith was coming with a wagon train with some illegal um, persons, uh, illegal dealings that he had done keeping these people hostage, and the police were looking for him. The sheriff already had him in mind. And in order to avoid any problem, Mr. Smith found out, and so Biddy, because she, she was a slave, didn't, could not stand up for herself in court to say what was really going on. So she had to have a lawyer. So those brethren paid for her to get a lawyer, but Mr. Smith found out and he paid the lawyer off. So now she's going to go to court with nobody but Jesus. Hello, I said nobody but Jesus. Jesus worked it out that the judge saw right through Mr. Smith and he immediately released Biddy. Now, here's where the glory comes. As soon as Biddy was free, she was used to living very simple, but she was a woman of all trades. As a matter of fact, she was the number one midwife. I think some of you know Biddy Mason. She was the number one midwife. She started a midwifing business, and she started collecting big-time money. Then she was being called upon to do all kinds of things. She was expert in livestock, expert in midwifing, expert in everything. So before you know it, Biddy became a millionaire. This is the truth. This is the truth. God is my witness. This is the truth. And what she did with her money was she started investing in the poor and started investing in those that didn't have any help and started educating her, uh, people and started opening schools. And she joined the AME church. She was a founding member of the AME church in Los Angeles. And so she purchased the property of Azusa that began as an AME church. Somebody should give God the praise. I hope somebody's hearing this. So you, first of all, we got to see how God uses for his glory our sufferings. The eye has not seen, neither has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. 
So this woman of God as a founding member of the AME Church in Los Angeles purchased 312 Azusa Street as St. Stephen's AME Church, which later became a, 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 it became a warehouse. Then it became the headquarters of the Azusa Street Revival. I hope you understand, hallelujah, why God honored that location. So we say, why did it have to be there? Why was it such a dilapidated building? Why didn't God choose another building? God says, no, it's got to be the place that had the foundation. It had to be the place where the glory already was there. The glory was already resting over that spot. And that is why God used that spot for the Azusa revival. And somebody ought to praise God. So it's not just Bishop Seymour. It's also Biddy Mason. Oh, God. The Lord's saying, I'm going to start from your labors. A century of the Holy Spirit. This is going to start the Assemblies of God. This is going to start all Pentecostal denominations. This is going to start later the Charismatics in all the mainline churches. And in 2021, we did, a re, we did a survey of how many people speak in tongues, how many on the earth estimated speak in tongues. We got the statistics from Gordon Conwell University. And the statistics are over 600 million speak in tongues as of 2020. 600 million. And all fruit from Azusa. I hope somebody's hearing what I'm talking about because the word Pentecost, Pentecostal, was not used till Azusa Street. Azusa Street began the Pentecostal work of God. And somebody should praise the Lord. Stand to your feet right now. We're going to raise up our hands toward heaven. And we're going to receive the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this place. God, we give you praise tonight. Father, give us courage. Give us courage to go on. So many times we complain. So many times we say, God, I can't do it. But if we look at somebody like Biddy and we realize that the God that we serve has a plan behind what we're going through. For our light affliction is but for a moment, but it worketh for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. That's HESED, 
C-H-E-S-E-D-2779. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.